Welcome to the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. This is a show about pushing through obstacles and hard times in order to live a happy and fulfilled life. I'm your host, Ted Fayton, and it's a pleasure to have you joining us. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's grow. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast, where we help folks overcome adversity by getting through their storms to meet their rainbows. And of course, always shout out to my executive producer, Andre Settles, for helping me with this podcast. Today, I'm really excited for this. We have author of Honest to Greatness. The book is not out yet, but I think you're going to love the insight that you're going to hear in this episode. Joined here by Peter Kozadoy. And Peter, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here today. My pleasure, Ted. And we know your book comes out August 2020. And for listeners, they might be listening to it before that, during that. Um, hopefully, they have an opportunity to pick up the book. But before that, why not introduce yourself really quick to the listeners and the watchers on YouTube on, on who, who you are and what it is you do? You bet. So my name is Peter Kozadoy. Yes, it's a very funny last name that I've been battling ever since I can remember. And the short story, Ted, is I'm a former figure skater turned entrepreneur uh, who, you know, very kind of typical entrepreneurial story, had no idea what I was doing for the first five years of, you know, right out of college, graduated in 2008, building what I thought was a video production company that went through eight transitions with which felt like 8,000 pivots um, and a lot of lessons, very hard won. And we ended up uh, as a full service uh, media production agency. We had offices in different states and here in the U.S. and in Canada and ended up in the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing companies in the U.S. for a couple of years in a row. Uh, and from there, I've branched out into other businesses. I have a new tech launch. And then this book is really like uh, my baby that I'm birthing unto the world. So, uh, you know, hopefully when it comes out, people don't look at it and say, wow, that is the ugliest baby I've ever seen. Uh, hopefully it goes better than that. But you never know. It's all it's all a risk. And I sort of live in, in risky land here. Yeah, as do entrepreneurs usually do. They have that risk factor about them. And of course, uh, birthing the baby of the book, there's definitely some labor pains. We can jump into that as well. But first, um, I want to start oh, yeah. with when you mentioned transitioning from the figure skating career into the entrepreneurial world. What was that transition like? Because for some, I know when they get into the entrepreneurial world, some of it is out of necessity. And I'd be interested to know more on, on how that transition came about. Yeah, it's a, that's a great question, Ted, because a lot of who I am is locked up in that transition, actually. Um, I was a figure skater from a very young age. My parents put me in it when I was four, four three or four years old, uh, among other sports. And over the years, uh, figure skating just kept sticking. To be honest with you, Ted, it's probably the most difficult thing I've ever done. And the challenge was so great. And the mental fortitude it took was just so much that I think I, I clung to it like, like an addict would cling to something that's very bad for them. And it's like, if I didn't get the double axle, I wanted the triple toe. And I got that and I wanted triple lutz. And I wanted to win New England's and I wanted to win nationals and so on and so forth. And I would say, you know, a couple of very interesting things came out of that. The first is when I was 17, I was convinced that over the next year, I was going to go to the Olympics as a figure skater and go to Harvard University, which had been my childhood dream forever. Um, by 18, I had gotten injured yet again, had missed the Olympics, and then did not get into Harvard. I, I was like, Harvard, do you want to take me? And they were like, no, no, thank you. You suck. Please leave. And that was devastating. 
Um, and I was devastated for a lot of years, I think deeply psychologically uh, hurt, you know, and, and disappointed in myself. And there were a couple of interesting reasons why I bring that up. First is being a figure skater out there alone, falling on your ass in the cold is a great way to train for being an entrepreneur because there's no one else but you. The spotlight's on you and you have to perform. And after those experiences, nothing was challenging. I would talk to the biggest CEOs. I would stand up in front of rooms and speak because nothing beats falling on your ass in tights as a straight dude, right? Like after you do that, nothing else is like really that difficult. So that helped. And the other thing is missing those two big dreams that I had gave me a colossal chip on my shoulder that I then spent a decade trying to brush off. And that's sort of what led me uh, down the entrepreneurial path and made me so hungry to go from eating pasta on the floor of my first condo to building a multi-million dollar business. You know, I just always in the back of my mind had that, you know, you, you talked about adversity earlier with me, like that, that was, you know, one of the defining moments for me. And then we'll get to the other defining moment, which led to the book, but uh, I'll let you keep asking questions. Yeah, well, absolutely. And I love the fact that you were able to use that chip on your shoulder to kind of excel you in the entrepreneurial world, because a lot of times, and we would talk about here with No Rain, No Rainbows, our adversity, that rain is really the nutrients that help the flowers grow, right? And it's it's all that, that, um, that adversity you overcame and everything it took to get to the level of success that you experienced in figure skating, those tools then transition into the business world that can kind of help propel you uh, ahead of the competition. But of course, we never see the blessings when they're happening. I love the depiction. I could see vividly, you know, falling on the ice in tights. I've never experienced that. I hope to never experience it, but um, I yeah, can't really I, imagine. I don't wish it on you. Yeah, I can imagine the resilience that it builds within somebody. Now you transition into the business world and you, you mentioned the success you have there with the media company, video production. Um, what was that like as that success is coming about and you're getting that recognition? Did you feel like you arrived or was there still, like you mentioned, getting that chip off your shoulder, was there still something in you that was unfulfilled? Yeah, so let's, I, I want to dissect that because that's a great question, Ted. Did I feel like I arrived? What I've learned, uh, you know, being a wise old man now, or at least older, that's the true part, is that we are usually most vulnerable when we think we're on top of the world. And we're, you, we usually have actually the best prospects ahead of us when we're down and out. And I found this in business over and over again, that like, if I think back to the first time we went to the Inc. 5000 conference, uh, you know, being there at the conference, I felt like, oh my gosh, I arrived. Well, what was really happening was a million dollar client was in the process of leaving us, right? <laughs> that I figured out, you know, days after we had gotten back. And so when I look back on those moments, I've really learned to be much more uh, humble as much as I possibly can be. My, my wife would tell you it's more difficult for me than the average person, I think. But the, the reason that's important is because I've just seen how when I feel like, oh my gosh, I finally figured this thing out, I've had the rug pulled out from under me. I'm sure many of the people listening and watching have had similar experiences. And so now I'm sort of much more weary about like, yes, I need to celebrate this. And I also need to be resilient for whatever's coming my way. 
And in some of the darkest moments, and I remember a few years ago, after we had lost that client, we had to let go of a few incredible people on our team and had to do a layoff. I mean, you don't get into business to lay people off, right? So it's like devastating emotionally to me. But that was actually the catalyst that caused our next pivot into our next phase of growth and you know, personal fulfillment as a leader and as a business owner. So we, as you said, you never see these things when you're in the moment. And so I've learned to like step back and take a look at life as like a much more like flowing sort of entity that like you're in the rapids or you're in the pools. It doesn't really matter. You're going to be in the next phase, whether you like it or not. And so sort of a, you know, an opportunity to step back and A, enjoy what's coming at you and B, find that the really great lessons in all of that. You know, if you had told me 15 years ago that I'd be talking about figure skating on a podcast, publishing a book, I would have been like, that's not, that's not a thing. That's not possible. Um, and yet, you know, all these things tie into who we are and, and help us go forward. And that, that ties into, you know, your other thing, which was like, what, what spurred the next level of growth for me? Um, and that was turning 30, which was, I don't know if this has happened to you, Ted, but this is a devastating thing. I don't know how people get through this, the turning 30 thing. It was awful. Um, and you know, I, I had a moment I, and I talk about this in the book and I looked around at my life and I was like, you know, I'd done amazing things. I'd built a multi-million dollar company. I'd married my incredible wife that I do not deserve. Um, we were flipping houses and getting into real estate and stuff. Like everything was fine. Um, but I just had this really raging fire in me that was saying like, Hey, you know, th this is not enough. You have a lot more to do. Uh, you better get your ass in gear. And that is, is what kicked off several initiatives that I've since done, the biggest of which has been uh, the book that's coming out finally this year. Absolutely. And uh, I will jump into that book in just a second, but kind of to, to harp on your point a little more of we are most vulnerable when we think we're on top of the world. We've all seen the, the movie, the show, the commercial where you know the family or the people are in the car smiling dancing, laughing along to the music. They show a clip of the outside of the car, the inside of the car. You can almost imagine what's going to happen next, right? They're so happy that you're just waiting for the accident to happen. And, and I think that's a good picture on how right. life can be for us when we're just rolling along and moving through. So that's, that's definitely an awesome insight. I have hit that 30 mark and I had to do a mental shift personally because I'm like, okay, 30. Everyone's like, are you ready for it? Are you ready for it? And there is that little that little bug inside of you, like, well, I'm going to hit 30. That's another decade. I'm de I've already hit the quarter century mark. You know, the clock's ticking and, and you're like, right. oh, I got to get going. Uh, my mind shift was, okay, 30s are going to be the best decade of my life. I kind of made that, uh, that statement and that commitment two years ago when I was turning 30. I love it. And um, I said, in my 30s, I'm going to get married. I have a fiance right now. I said, I'm going to I'm gonna have kids when, I, when I'm 30, in my 30s. I'm going to buy a house when I'm in my 30s. That actually all, well, I, didn't, I don't have a kid yet, but got engaged, bought a house. We got a pup. That all happened within a year and a half. And I'm only two years into my 30s. Amazing. So <laughs> it's happening faster than mm -hmm. I thought. Hopping into the transition for the book, I'd like to know exactly what was that seed or what was that inspiration that started with this book and and really what was what was it that brought you on the topic of honesty? Again, the book being from honest uh, great honest to greatness. Yeah, so keep in mind, Ted, that with all things in life, we do much much better explaining things in retrospect, right? So my answer now is gonna be very different than if you had asked me when I first started writing. And in retrospect, what I understand was at 30, with that ticking clock, I think that's a good, good metaphor for it, I 
felt like I needed to return to the fundamental question, like, who am I really? You know, if I want to be really deeply honest with myself, who am I? Um, and I am an author was one of those things that popped into my head. Like, that's just who I am. It's in my DNA. My name is on a book that resides on people's shelves. I can feel it in my bones. Like, maybe some of you out there can, like, you have these things where you're like, I know I'm this kind of person, okay? So I sat down to write a book on marketing. Like, I never set out to talk about, write about, or speak about honesty. Frankly, Ted, I didn't give a shit about honesty. Like, honesty what? It had no bearing whatsoever on me or my life. I never thought about it. Um, and as I was writing this book on marketing and learning how to, like, structure a book and get a, a literary agent in that, I went out and I, I decided I was going to write a book proposal. I had a couple friends who had written New York Times bestsellers who were in an entrepreneur's group I was in. I'm very grateful they gave me the time of day and said, all right, we, here, Peter, here's how you write a book proposal. Uh, good luck. And I queried 400 literary agents by email, many of whom got back to me and said, uh, this is the most terrible pitch I've ever seen. You will never be a published author. Uh, please don't, you know, never email again, me again. Uh, so I definitely got some of those. Three agents got back to me and said, you know what, I'll take a meeting. This sounds sort of interesting. You sound interesting. And one of them signed me and just took a flyer on me. And then we shopped it to publishers and we ended up getting three publishing deals and we went with one and, and so on and so forth. But my point is, once I got a literary agent, he turned around and he was like, hey, Peter, this is great and everything, but this actually isn't a book about marketing. This is a book about honesty. And I was like, well, I don't know what, uh, what kind of agent you are. That makes absolutely no sense. So I'm not going to take your advice. And then, of course, I flipped back through it and I was like, oh, shit, this guy was right. Like, that's exactly what this book is about. It's about honesty and how organizations who communicate with honesty and authenticity and organizations who are honest at their core in their business practices, beliefs, cultures, they are the ones that just crush their industries and achieve massive profitability. Because Ted, very importantly, this is not an ethics book. This is a how to make crap tons of money book. Um, it's a business book. I'm a businessman. I love money. You love money? I love, I money. love money. Heck yeah. So this is a book about making money. You know, it's a book about business success. And so as I looked at it through the lens of honesty, what occurred was I was able to see not only the book very differently, but my life and my world very differently. And I started to ask myself better questions like, how does honesty play into what I'm seeing in society and in our culture? All of the strife and divisiveness that we've had. How does it play into the way I've structured my businesses and my life? both my, the people I surround myself with, my vendors, my partners, my employees, and so on and so forth. And then how does honesty with my personal life? And, you know, as I began to shift the lens to start views and opportunities started to kind of come towards me, like, oh, that's perfect for the book, and that fits the book. I'm amazed by this fact. I, of all people, the one who was voted most likely to continue being a jerk in high school, am the one to like come down from Mount Sinai with tablets that say honesty. I mean, it's very odd. I don't even consider myself to be an honest person. But I will tell you, I do see the value of honesty in helping us get out of where we are as a society. And that's really what makes me most excited for this project. Absolutely. And I, I appreciate having the opportunity to kind of get a preview of the book and getting to go through it a little bit, because I know I'll, I know there's a lot of listeners who might think to themselves, well, I'm an honest person. And it's it's easy to say that. It's easy to think that. But one thing you do mention in the book is, you know, how many times do you kind of exaggerate 
a little bit or you twist the truth just a little bit and it starts off a little bit and then before you know it, it becomes a habit and you talk about honesty being a practice. Unpack that a little bit in terms of what some of the listeners might not notice about themselves and the truth of their dishonesty. Yeah, so let's talk first about what honesty does not mean because it doesn't mean just blurting out the truth all the time. One of the CEOs that I interview makes a great uh, point, which is if you're flying in an airplane and the airline pilots come over the, you know, the intercom and they say, well, uh, we've never seen storm clouds like that ahead. So we need everyone to put their seatbelts on and, and hang on. We're not sure what's going to happen. Uh, is that honest? Yes. But is it helpful? No. Right. Nobody wants that. For anyone out there with kids, like you don't just want to tell your kids the whole truth and nothing but the truth, you know, no matter what. That's not going to help produce the best child. Right. So what I've done, Ted, is redefine honesty as it relates in to helping us be, be better leaders, both in very important levels. The first is honest about the community. You know, we need to be honest about what's going on in society, what the big trends and shifts are. Uh, you know, right now, I would say that one of those things is massive distrust, right, in politics and corporations and the media. You know, this is something big that's going on in society. We've had uh, we've had massive racial gaps appear. Uh, in this society. We've had massive gender bias appear in this society and, and be very difficult uh, to move forward. These are big issues that we need to be honest about and grapple with, not just you know take up our positions and refuse to listen to others, right? Uh, which brings me to the second level of honesty, which is being honest with and about the others around us. And those others can be employees and customers, or they can be friends and family. And it's very important that we're not just honest with others, but also about them. One of I mean by that is it's one thing to communicate openly between two people. And I encourage that. You and I and everyone out there has had instances where miscommunication has led to massively epic failures, you know, really big bad things um, like divorces or business breakups or whatever, right? We know that dishonesty and lying is bad. But there's another reality, which is we need to be honest about the others around us. What are they thinking? How are they feeling? What facts and opinions are they operating on? What can we do to stop offending the people we talk to, but rather invite open dialogue so we can come to better understanding? That's where empathy comes in, right? That's part of being honest too. And then the final piece is being honest with and about ourselves, with our own biases and self-limiting beliefs as leaders. Ted, I coach a lot of entrepreneurs and I've coached hundreds over the last couple of years. And I cannot tell you how many times an entrepreneur comes to me convinced that they have a sales problem, a marketing problem, an operations problem, an employee problem. What they really have is an honesty problem. They have locked up an assumption in their minds and they are operating on that assumption. And that assumption is just plain not true. It's just dishonest. Uh, and so this, this thing we have as humans that we get to lie to ourselves, right? Lead ourselves astray, allow ourselves to succumb to hurt. not question the very dishonesty that I talk about in the book. In fact, my first chapter, the title is Fraud is Our Fault. And it is. Every time we uh, click on a headline that feeds into our fear bias, or every time we share something because it feeds into what we already think is true, rather than like diving into the facts and understanding like, is this actually correct or not? Every time we do that, we propagate dishonesty. 
in a way that hurts us, hurts the people around us, and I'm sure inadvertently hurts the people we love. And what I've found, Ted, is that leaders and organizations that get aligned on all three levels, honest about community, others, and self, that's when they unlock incredible value. You can imagine they're just able to remove bullshit, right? Remove roadblocks. And, you know, honesty isn't adding anything. It's actually removing crap, removing stuff we put in our own way, you know, lies we tell ourselves. Once we do that, once you and I have a conversation about what actually is going on and what actually needs to change, what to do about it is kind of the easy part, you know, as long as we can get to the honest conversation to begin with. So, you know, you can see I get kind of, kind of passionate about this stuff for someone who never set out to care about honesty, but uh, it's, I think it's at the root cause of a lot of issues we have right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I could just, I hear that passion coming out, which I, I love every little bit of it. And you mentioned this is a money-making book and I really want to uh, kind of put the flashlight on that and the spotlight on that for our listeners, because the questions that you're asking, and when you talk about being honest with community, with others and with self, that really is kind of a marketing practice community. We always say in terms of sales, solve a problem. What's impacting the community what do they need and how can do they need help be honest with others when you're critiquing someone else or anything like that that's very important and honestly being honest with yourself i imagine when you're coaching an entrepreneur everyone can come and say they have the uber of this business they have the uber of this industry and and quite frankly you're living in a fantasy world you're not being honest with yourself because the market doesn't want what you're selling and when it comes to making money that honesty of seeing exactly what the market needs is how you can kind of break past that a lot of us we get in our own way when it comes to breaking breaking into that growth so when when you hear honesty as the title folks might think okay what is this about it definitely is a money-making book. And to prove that, you actually have examples in the book and you you reference businesses and some of the practices in terms of how their honesty is beneficial to their business. Talk a little bit about that because we know in today's day and age, social media, the cameras that have are everyone's phones, Twitter, there's a very short BS meter for a lot of folks that scroll through Instagram, Facebook, and all the other social media pages. That's right. You know, this is such an easy argument to make because some folks, some cynical folks whom I love because I'm the biggest cynic of all of them, remember, uh, you know, would say something to me like, yeah, I'll see them to screw each other. So how can that possibly work? And I say, well, let me ask you this. If you saw an ad on TV and the CEO just like laid it out, they were super authentic, super honest. Hey, here are the facts. Here's how it is. What's that phrase that we have for that? It's um something like refresh, fresh, honest. What is it, Ted? It's it's refreshingly, refreshingly honest. That's right. We say like, well, that's refreshingly honest, right? And so, if it's so refreshing that we all remark that, wow, that was wonderful, then you really going to tell me that honesty doesn't work? We have that phrase for a reason. We t- it's so rare that we take note of it. So this reminds me of a story I tell in my book uh, of a. 11-year-old Girl Scout named Charlotte McCourt. And Charlotte wanted to sell Girl Scout cookies, as all Girl Scouts do. And principally, she wanted to sell a bunch of boxes so she could ship some to uh, the military, to troops overseas, which is fantastic, right? Given a little taste of home, I think we can all get behind that mission. Um, Now, being the, the capitalist that she is, she went to her father's very wealthy friend and uh, said, you know, I want to sell you Girl Scout cookies. But that's not exactly what happened. See, she wrote a letter, a pitch letter, if you will, uh, to this friend 
happened. And she basically laid a very detailed examination of what she thought about their flavors or not. Um, some she said were fantastic and absolutely fine. Others she called a gluten-free wasteland and should be avoided at all costs. Now, we don't all know that many salespeople who will openly bash their own products. Um, but guess what? Her approach was so honest and so authentic that the venture capitalist she was pitching said to himself, gee, if all the companies I invested in were this good at sales and this authentic, so he bought several cookies, but more importantly, you know, he and Charlotte's father shared this letter because they thought it was so funny and great. The letter ended up on Mike Rowe's desk. He did a podcast about it. It ended up on CBS Sunday Morning and ended up in press around the country. Now, you can't achieve anything like that unless you do something so honest and authentic that it is refreshing, right? If she had just written a letter and said, hey, I know you have a lot of money. Please buy a lot of cookies and ship them to troops overseas. He might have bought 20 boxes or 50 boxes or 100 boxes. But she never would have sold the 30,000 boxes that she did when she shared her products with such refreshing honesty. That's what honesty does for leaders and businesses. It unlocks all kinds of wildly game-changing opportunities that you can't have when you're doing anything else. And then here's the thing about honesty, because it's great to see that result. It's scary for some folks because they're afraid of what the repercussions might be. How can you break past that fear? You know, a lot of what, when I was picking case studies for the book, what I was hoping to show was a good cross section of individuals who did very brave things. But my biggest point is when you look back on them, they weren't brave. They were just human. Like if, if you and I were in a relationship and I came to you and I said, hey, you know what? I mean, you've hired me to do a job. I messed it up. I'm sorry. Uh, here are the ways I'm going to fix it. And then I go and I fix it. We're good, right? Yeah, absolutely. No problem. If I give you some bullshit line, if I give you some BS or try to hide it, then not so good, right? And yet corporations today, what do they do? Volkswagen, diesel emission scandal, uh, Wells Fargo, fake account scandal. And then they don't come out and say like, oh shit, yeah, you're right. That was terrible. We are so sorry. They just keep on moving as if nothing happened. We, do, we, we don't do that. Human beings don't act like that. So why do we do it as corporations? So to your point, like which one is more risky? It reminds me of Domino's Pizza in 2009, where the CEO went on national television and said, we're sorry, everyone, but our customers came and they told us that our pizza is terrible. We messed up and we're going to fix this. You know, we are going to do it. And they did. Yeah. And they were very transparent about it. They went to people's houses and filmed interviews and passed out pizza and got feedback. And, uh, you know, if you had bought Domino's stock when the CEO came on TV, that stock went up over 3,000% in less than 10 years. 3,000%. It would have made you a millionaire many times over. And all we had to do was spot the refreshing honesty that was coming at us and ask ourselves, well, if they're being honest about that, what else are they being honest about in their business that they're now going to go out and change? Very powerful. I love that. Honest to greatness, the book coming out in August, 2020. And Peter, I think just by hearing the examples that you've given here, I'm pretty sure our listeners should be convinced that this is a, a money-making book. This is a book on how we as business owners, entrepreneurs can break past some of the barriers that we set for ourselves, the dishonesty that we surround ourselves with and push into our, our, our true potential for growth. And, and to your point, even further, in the world we live in, there's a lot of clickbait out there. There's a lot of things that just are a headline. And I'll tell you what, 
a lot of times, if you're a new business starting out, you only have one shot at a first impression with a new customer. And if you deceive them off the bat, they're not coming back. So when you lead with that authenticity, even if your product isn't perfect yet, you have a better shot at building the relationship with that customer from being authentic in, from the get-go than if you were to try and deceive them and sell them something that they, they think they're getting A, but they actually get B. Before we let you go, um, I just want to make sure I give an opportunity for our listeners to contact you. I know you have a quiz, an honesty quiz that folks can take. I myself will have to take it, and I'm going to be putting it, uh, my results in the show notes. I think that's going to be fun to unpack. But how can folks follow more of your stuff and, and find you on- online? Sure. So honesttogreatness.com is your best way. That'll lead you actually to petercosadoy.com, but no one wants to spell my name, and I don't blame them. So if you head to honesttogreatness.com, you'll end up on my site. You can take the 21-question honesty quiz if you're brave enough to figure out uh, how good, (laughs) how honest you really are. Um, And, you know, hopefully you post those results and tag me in social media and uh, so I can check it out. And then uh, you can all see what else I do. I work with a ton of entrepreneurs. One of the most powerful uh, programs I have is called Forum, uh, where we meet once a month by a video chat and we get deeply honest with each other about what's really going on to get at those root problems so we're not stuck uh, assuming that we have a sales issue when we really have a leadership issue, right? Or really have a fundamental business setup issue or any of those things. Very, very powerful stuff. So that's all on my website. Come check it out. Come hang out on social media. Yeah, Peter, thank you so much. And I think for our listeners, the honesty, even if they're not a business owner, if they're just ambitious playing with that idea, the honesty of if it's an idea or if it's a business will be the first step in actually figuring out if you're seeking a hobby or if you're really trying to make a career out of something that you're doing. So I think a lot of our listeners are going to benefit from that. So Peter, thank you so much. And just to unpack some of the, the tips that you gave along the way that I think our listeners really need to focus on is how the failure, the figure skating career, that what looked like a failure, a terrible failure, falling on the ice and tights, I think that's a depiction <laughs> I'll never get out of my head. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> I, no, I love it because that's the exact tool we need to, to get to where we need to go. A story I've shared on the podcast before is my bout with ulcerative colitis. It's, it's an autoimmune disease that put me in the hospital for two weeks. And I remember being in the hospital bed and thinking to myself, if I overcome this, I can be great. So when we're in our lowest points, oh, I love that darkest points. Yeah, that's that's really what gives us the tools to be successful. And of course, also another point, when you are on top of the world, when you feel like you've arrived, you're also most vulnerable. So I want the listeners to kind of be aware of that. Always stay humble. I'm working on it myself. You mentioned that you are too. My fiance will tell you I still got a lot more work to do. <laughs> Maybe your fiance and my wife are friends. I don't know. <laughs> they might be. They probably talk about us behind our backs. <laughs> <laughs> and I do want to bring the point of when you were looking for a publicist, 400, 400 agents. Yeah. Agents, yes, and and three gave you a shot, and only one. So th- that just to kind of share with folks really what it takes, because yes. some people might say, "Oh, I sent out five, ten. That's not enough. Four hundred to three yeah. to one." And um, hopefully, folks that listen to this can learn to be honest with their community, honest with others, and honest with themselves. Peter, thanks again so much. And uh, if the listeners, if you guys enjoyed this, please subscribe. Be sure to follow Peter. I'll have all the links in the show notes as well as my results. And uh, if you're a member of the Patreon page, just look for some extra audio on that. If you're not, we'd love to have you support us. And as always, as we say at the end of the episode, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain, but you can't get the pleasure without a little pain.
let's grow. The No Rain, No Rainbows podcast is recorded at Camaraderie, a collective workspace in Greenville, South Carolina, right off the Swamp Rabbit Trail. If you're looking for a place to grow your business, network with other professionals, and establish your own workspace, Camaraderie is the place to do so. Get access to high-speed internet, private showers and towel service, free methodical coffee, and free beer on tap. For more details, be sure to head over to camaraderiecowork.com or hit the link in the show notes and find out how you can lock in your space with rates starting at just $99 a month. Be sure to tell them that Ted sent you and try it out for free. You never know, you just might find a new home at Camaraderie. Let's grow.